Thank you. Hey, uh, can we give it up to the tech people here? Can you just, I, I'm just saying, I was in the audience, I had a great morning. They had a stressful morning. And so just keep up in your prayers and thank you guys for your hard work. And Lauren, wherever you are, where are you? Lauren, you did an amazing, did she not do an amazing job? Because you don't have to have uh, the slides when you have that energy for worship and that passion for God. So I just, I had a, I had a beautiful morning and I wanted the tech people and I wanted the worship team to know that. And we have slides. <laughs> what am I to say about this? Okay, so we're on a, we're on a series of unlikely heroes and I chose Onesimus our unlikely hero. So I'd like to get the awkwardness of his name out of the way. So you could just say, oh, and it's actually, it's, see, I, I, I've known the guy for 30 years now and I've never said his name right, which I learned this week because I've never preached on him before. So if you don't know him, I, you know, I didn't really know him that well either, but it's, it's Onesimus. Onesimus. There you go. So have you ever heard of him? If you, <laughs> uh, okay, can you tell me what book of the Bible he's in? <laughs> Not many. <laughs> well, don't be embarrassed because he's an unlikely and unknown hero. Onesimus was the occasion for the writing of the shortest book in the Bible, which is the book of Philemon. It's Philemon, which I've pronounced wrong all my life too. Philemon. Let's just say it together. Maybe it'll help me. Philemon. Okay. So when you jump into the book of Philemon, you jump into the middle of what I'm going to call a... Next slide. <laughs> Am I on? Point it towards you? I'm t Is it here? <laughs> okay, I'm going to call it, and we'll see it in a minute, a weird, awkward, divine appointment. So when God brought Anesimus into Paul's life, it thrust Paul into the middle of a very broken and very complicated relationship. I'm sure that's never happened to you. And to explain that, I'm going to introduce you to three characters that sort of triangulate here in the book. So the first is Paul. I don't know his last name. The Apostle of Tarsus, Paul. And he's writing this letter, the book of Philemon, to out of prison. He's in a prison in Rome. And the book of Philemon is unique in this way. It's written to one guy, Philemon. Usually, the, usually Paul's letters are written to churches. This one is written to one person. And it's really personal and direct in that way. And he's, he's, he's addressing a very specific issue in our second character's life, which is Philemon himself. How are we doing now? <laughs> There's Paul. And then who's next? How do you say it? Beautiful. And so this, this is how the book starts. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and also to Apphia, that's his wife, 
our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, that's his son. So he's basically saying, hi Philemon, say hey to your wife, say hey to your son, and to the church that meets in your home. And we learned through the letter, we learned several things about Philemon. And the first is that he's a prominent member of the church at Colossae. So he, he, we learned that secondly, he was led to Christ by Paul, that he is now a leader in the church. And we learned thirdly, we learned this, he's wealthy enough to have a house big enough to have church in, and he's wealthy enough to own at least one slave. And the name of that slave was Onesimus. And he's the third character in the book. So Onesimus, this is the problem. Onesimus is a runaway slave. And it appears that when he ran away, he stole some stuff too. So he's a thief and he's a runaway slave. And like thousands of other runaway slaves, he, read to, he, he fled to the largest and most diverse city that he could think of, which was Rome, which is where Paul sat in prison. And so somehow through circumstances that we were not told about in scripture, they met Paul and Anismius. We don't, we don't know if they knew each other before or if it was just one of God's great sense of humor surprises, but they meet and Paul leads Onesimus to Christ in prison. Now suddenly Paul's in a very, very awkward situation. Do you see that? Because he not only knows Onesimus, the runaway slave, he also knows the slave master who he also led to Christ, Philemon. I mean, what are the chances of knowing both? And so, what is Paul going to do? How's he going to thread this needle? So he makes a decision. He's going to be an advocate for Onesimus. Onesimus. He's going to be an advocate. Okay, this is a risky proposition. Have you ever gotten in the middle of uh, two people's business and just got slammed? See, that's the risk. I mean, the risk is that he might alienate both of them. I mean, the risk is that jumping into the middle of this broken relationship is just knocking the hornet's nest. And so Paul, though, he's a risk taker. And so he jumps in with both feet. And the way that he does that is he writes this letter to Philemon. And in this letter to him, which is only 25 verses long, he makes four mind-blowing appeals and they really are mind-blowing and so the first one is this he says to him he, he says to Philemon forgive Onesimus and receive him back but not as a slave rather as a dear brother and he says it just that plainly in verses 15 and 16 he, he writes, you know, maybe the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. It's funny when you read the book because Paul makes the point at least twice that uh, Philemon, I could, you know, have apostolic authority and I could just command you 
to do this. But I'm not going to do that because it would miss the point. He says in verse 9, I appeal to you on the basis of love. Because I'm telling you that love takes you places that human laws and personal rights will never allow you to go. And so Paul challenges him on the basis of love, receive him back as an equal, which is just radical, wildly countercultural. This is church at the best to me. Paul is saying, look, Philemon, kingdom relationships operate on a completely different level than worldly relationships. Isn't it true? Out there, we leave, we go out there, and there's all kinds of distinctions between us. Out there, we have different levels of authority that define our lives. Out there, we have different social standings. We have different sized houses. We have different cars, right? We have different sized spheres of influence. But in here, all that goes away. In here, we have one father who loves each and every one of us with all his heart. And in here, we're his children. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. God is our father and we are his brothers and we are each other's brothers and sisters. And we're of infinite worth and value to God. Doesn't matter what we do, that's God's economy. In fact, in God's economy, it's the one who stoops the lowest that rises the highest. And so Paul is saying to Philemon, he's saying, look, you've got to see Onesimus from a different perspective because Roman law and human rights aren't in alignment with God's heart on this matter. So I'll explain. In that day, if you were a runaway slave and you got re recaptured, you were treated with great cruelty. A runaway slave was a felon. Great efforts were made to find them. And the master, when he received them back, could punish them any way that he wanted to, including death. You, you were free. Lots of them were branded with Fs on their forehead for fugitive. Now, behind the harsh treatment of runaway slaves was the fact that 20% of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves. And they were always wary of slave uprisings and slave rebellions. And so they wanted the runaways and the rebels to be dealt with in the harshest of terms. That's how it happened in the world. Paul's saying, look, you've got to come at this from a different perspective. Let go of your rights and forget human laws. And God will restore this relationship because something has happened here that superseded social structure, economic structure, and even legal status. He's saying to Philemon, catch God's heart on this. You are equals before him. This is so beautiful. You've got a slave, a slave master, and an apostle, and they are all standing as equals before God. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO 
or if you clean houses, or you're a plumber, or you're a doctor, or you're an electrician, or you're a business owner, or you're a pastor, or you're a missionary. It doesn't matter. We are equals before God. And this is just so radical. It's still radical. And it's verses like this in scripture that eventually made slavery impossible for the Christian community to support. Paul is saying in appeal number one, don't just receive him back physically, forgive him completely. Receiving back, not as a slave, but as a brother. Now it doesn't change what he did, right? Doesn't erase the past. Forgiveness doesn't erase the past. But in the words, in the words of Paul, both forgiveness does enlarge the future. Appeal number one. Appeal number one is receive Onesimus back. Not as, a, not as a slave, but as a brother. And here's appeal number two. Receive him back as my son. So the first time he's saying, hey, I want you to get God's heart on this. And now he's saying to Philemon, I, I want you to hear my heart. He's like my son. I mean, what he means by that, in part, is he, I led him to Christ. I'm his spiritual father. But it had clearly gone way past that. He's like an adopted son. He's like an emotional father. And so, and so Paul goes about this kind of in an interesting way in the book. Okay, so he starts the book, right? And it, the point of the book is, is these appeals. But he doesn't start off with an appeal. You know, he starts off with honor. And, and, and he... He, he begins to esteem Onesimus and the first six verses are just love and, and he's buttering him up a little bit. And then, and then verse seven is the transition sentence and he says this, he says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, my brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. He's saying, man, you know, you have a gift and you have the gift of encouragement. And I'm just telling you, people get around you and when they leave, they just feel better about life and about themselves and about God because, because you have that gift. And so, and then he turns it on his head and he says, hey, can I be the benefit of that now? Refresh my heart in Christ. Well, how, how can I do that, Paul? Yes, I want to do that. How? Why? It's very simple. I am sending him, who is my heart, back to you. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. It's a very powerful appeal. Appeal number one. Receiving back as a brother, not as a slave. Appeal number two, receiving back like you'd be receiving my very own son. And so here comes appeal number three. He says, look, just think about all the things that have happened and just, just receive them as God's grace to you. He's basically giving Philemon a whole different way to think about what happened. And he's saying, hey, look, I know that you didn't know this and all that anxiety and frustration and anger. God was working for your good. He says, he says, just think about it. And this is how he says it in verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you. Okay, can I give you a little inside information here? Onesimus means, his name means useless. 
Like literally, his name means useless. Did I say that? I'm sorry. His name means useful. Sorry. He wasn't named negatively. My, my bad. His name means useful. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful, both to you and to me. It's a powerful word, and it truly is, because things happen in our life all the time that we think are horrible. I mean, I could give you a long list of them in my life that you look at years later and you figure out, oh man, that was God's grace happening for me. That was the sovereign hand of God blessing me, and I thought it was terrible. Didn't you love it a few weeks ago when Pastor Jesus talked about um, when he went to prison for seven years and how he just felt like God had abandoned him and everything was gone and then he gets out of prison seven years later and he starts looking up his old friends and he can't find any because they're dead they're all dead and he realizes god put me into prison not to punish me he put me into prison to preserve my life Receive what has happened as God's grace. Don't think of it as punishment. Think of it as, you know what, he was, he was useless to you. But guess what? Now he has become who God created him to be, who is useful. And you know what? I mean, he's incredibly good at what he does. Like, he's amazing. In fact... I just, I wanted to just keep him. Like, I, he has been so helpful to me. I wanted to just not even bring any of this up and just keep him and, 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 and let him continue to serve me in ministry because he is so useful. But God wouldn't allow it. And Paul knew that he had to, he had to, he had to make the past right. And so he chose to send him home. All right, don't, don't receive him as a slave, receive him as a brother, receive him as my son, receive what has happened to you so far. It's actually God's grace to you. And then here's the fourth and last one. He says, receive my promise, I'll pay it back. I realize he stole from you and whatever he stole from you, I'll pay it back. This is how he says it, verse 18 and 19. If he's done anything wrong or owes you anything, Charge it to me. Like, put it on my account. And then he says, I'm Paul writing you this with my own hand. I'll pay it back. And then he throws in a little bit of a guilt trip. <laughs> Not to mention that you own me your very life. <laughs> uh, so I really actually think at this point in writing the letter, he stops and he, he, he gets out like a, a certificate of indebtedness. And he, he signs it. A promissory note and signs it. I, whatever he's stolen from you, I will pay it back. See, Paul realizes that the damage done, just because he became a Christian, it doesn't magically disappear, right? One of the, one of the terms for forgiveness in the New Testament is an accounting term that describes resolving debt. It's a great term. 
Because when, when people sin against us, they hurt us, right? They, they've taken something from us. They've taken our dignity from us. They've taken a piece of our heart from us. We've suffered financial loss because of him, them. And they owe us. They owe us. And most of the time, those people cannot pay it back, just like Onesimus. He couldn't pay it back. And, and, and you can't get past it. What do you do if somebody has harmed you and they can't pay it back? They can't make it right. You can't undo the past. I mean, the only way that you can get free from that is you have to release that debt. And that's called forgiveness. Forgiveness is releasing the debt. It's saying, I'm no longer going to hold this against you. Onesimus broke the law. He stole. He ran away. Paul's not excusing his behavior, but to the extent that it's possible, he will sacrificially help restore what had been lost. Put it on my account, says Paul. So what happens after Paul finishes the letter? Where does the story go from here? Well, Paul does two more things. Number one is he sends Philemon back. He sends Onesimus back to Philemon. And, and he willingly goes, which I'll talk about in a minute. And then here's the second thing he does. He, he writes a letter to the church at large at Colossae. The, the letter is the epistle to the Colossians. And, and in the letter, he says this. Tychicus, because he, he sends the letter through Tychicus, a guy who's in Rome with him. So he physically takes the letter, and it, th this just makes sense, right? So Tychicus is going back to Colossae, and so he's going to take the letter from Paul, and he, so he says, take Onesimus with you. Just take him with you. So Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. Tychicus, he's a dear brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, verse 9. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. And they're like, hmm, I remember him being a runaway slave who ripped him off before he left. No, now he's the faithful and dear brother that I'm sending back to you. He is one of you. So Paul is, is like publicly declaring his character. And when he does that, who's he putting the heat on? Yeah, Philemon. <laughs> He's putting the heat on him because it's powerful public advocacy. So he does those two things. And so here's the point, I'll wrap it up. What's it mean for us? Okay, that's kind of a cool story. What's it mean for you and for me as we live our week out? Okay, there's three characters and everybody leaves us with a challenge. And the first challenge is given to us by, ah, there we go. Oh, overcompensated. Nope, they did. <laughs> the first challenge comes from the life of Paul. And the challenge is to advocate forgiveness. When you see a broken relationship in the body of Christ, you have a choice. You can promote forgiveness or you can promote schism. 
You can add your voice of complaint to their voice of complaint and make things worse. Or you can become an advocate for reconciliation. Paul decided to become an advocate. It's risky business. He, I mean, could he have alienated Philemon? Absolutely. Or, or how about this? Philemon receives Onesimus back, and Onesimus goes back to his old ways. What if he turns into a ne'er-do-well again, a thief and a runaway? What if he runs away again? And then Paul's put himself out there, right? It's, it's a little bit scary, but he goes and he does it. He advocates. So I'm just saying to you, if you know a broken relationship in your life, just take a page from the life of Paul and maybe God is calling you to promote forgiveness. Just think about it. All right, here's the second challenge from the story. This one comes from the life of Philemon. Forgive those who've harmed you. What do you think you would have done if you were him? Honestly. Because Onesimus may knock on your door this week. That person who harmed you may show up at the front door this week. And what are you going to do? With all that anger and resentment and frustration, are you going to demand justice? Are, are you going to ignore them? Are you going to want to make them pay? Are you going to keep them at a distance? Or are you going to receive them? Do you know what I love about this little book of, of uh, Philemon? See, see in Colossians, he, he writes the entire church, right? And he, he brings up this amazing idea. This is 3.13, Colossians 3.13. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another if somebody has a grievance against someone, hint, hint, then he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Isn't that warm and fuzzy and beautiful and just makes you feel great? It's just such an awesome idea. Until somebody hurts you. And then it's a stupid idea. <laughs> it's a setup for getting hurt all over again. So Paul takes this big idea in the book of Colossians, written to the, to the church, and he, he narrows it down to a single name in the book of Philemon. And I'm just saying to you that there's got to be that point in our life where the rubber of a single name meets the road of forgiveness in our hearts. That means, yes, you have to forgive those who have personally betrayed you, offended you, and stolen from you. Because we're to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And so that's my second prayer for us this week. It's that if there's somebody you need to forgive, that you take a, you take a, a note from the, the writing of the book of Philemon, and you'd accept the challenge. And then here's the third and last challenge. And this is from Onesimus, our, our hero. And I'll tell you why he's my hero. Because he did the right thing. And trusted the outcome to God. 
he wasn't trying to be great, right? I mean, do you think that going back to his slave master felt like a step into freedom or a step away from freedom? I mean, he went from relative peace in Rome to complete and total conflict as he had to walk back into all those broken relationships. And you know what? He, he just decided just by faith, I'm just, I'm just going to do what I know that God is asking me to do. And, and I'm going to have to trust the outcome of that to him. Paul didn't say to Philemon, you have to do this. You have, he said, I appeal to you on the basis of love, but you're free to do whatever you want. And so, and this is new, it may or may not turn out well. But how did it turn out? This is so interesting. We have some clues. Three decades later, uh, Ignatius, he was an early Christian leader, he, he writes a letter to the bishop of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. And what is the name of the bishop of Ephesus? Onesimus. Is it the same Onesimus? I, I think it is. Because when, when Ignatius writes to him, he keeps quoting from the book of Philemon. You know it's the same guy. That this little runaway slave becomes the bishop of the church at Ephesus as he continues to walk faithfully with God. Is that not amazing? What an unlikely end to an unlikely story. And a lot of New Testament scholars like F.F. F. Bruce suggest that Onesimus was instrumental. He was the one who collected and preserved all the letters of Paul, which is why we have them today. It makes sense, doesn't it? And yet, where did that start? With a scary, painful step into obedience, where he had no idea what the outcome would be. So that's my challenge to you. I don't know what that step is for you. Maybe God's been nudging you and he's asking you to serve. And you're like, I don't know. What if they don't want me? What if I get in over my head? What if I don't like them? What if it's not a good fit? And yet you know God is nudging you to step forward. We have to do the same thing he did. You just got to put the outcome out of your head. And walk in obedience. For some of you, it's not serving that's a problem. It's giving. Who has money laying around the house? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, we don't give because we're afraid we're going to need the money. And yet God is really clear that we need to give to the work of the kingdom. And the only way that we can do that is if we take that painful step of faith and trust the outcome to him. Or maybe it's not serving, maybe it's not giving, maybe it's in a relationship. I would bet that there are people in this room that God's been putting on your heart. I need, I need a Stephen minister. I've got some things to work through. But you just haven't taken the step. I need to have a heart-to-heart -heart with a child of mine. But you haven't sat down to do it. I need to make it right with somebody that I know that's upset. I need to make it right, but you haven't made the call. You know, we don't do those things because we don't know what's, what's going to happen. And when we do, take a page from the life of Onesimus. It's just, it's a prayer of surrender away. 
you just kind of say, I don't, I don't care what happens. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I'm going to do what I know God is asking me to do. And I promise, I promise, I promise, God will bless you. So it's your moment of decision. Decide to be a hero in his sight. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for that sense of conviction that stirred in the hearts of some of the people in the congregation this morning. Don't let us wiggle out of it. Don't let us leave and get distracted. Lord, we, we know and we believe that following you, doing the things you're asking us to do is the most important thing in our life. There's nothing more important. And yet, it's so hard. It just takes so much faith to do these uncomfortable things. And yet, it's the road to life. Forgive us the faith to choose the road to life. It feels like death. But Lord, by faith, we claim the road to life. Say that prayer of surrender. Trust the outcome to him. Do it right now. I'm just going to give you a minute of silence. Commit to do those things the Lord is asking you to do and trust the outcome to him.